Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Top of the morning to you. Is that Irish? Uh, sounded more Scottish. It sounds Scottish. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. What's a really good introduction song or phrase that's from Ireland? From Ireland? Something Irish. I to celebrate the holiday. I don't know. Actually, I oh, know they're, they're after my lucky charms. That's that's a good yeah, one. Hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. That was good. Let's that was good. Try that again. They're after my lucky charms. Uh, it should probably be me, right? They're after me lucky charms. Uh, that's that's the best yeah. I got. No, I, that felt good. Okay, good. Okay, so here's the deal, James. Uh, a little improv here. Anytime I, I point to you today, you just kind of give us the phrase, they're, they're <laughs> after me lucky charms. Okay, I'm going to write that down. Okay, I'll try to I don't want to forget it because I think we're on to something. Yeah, I think something great is happening right here that you can feel the synergy yeah. can in you the feel studio. It? Yeah. yeah, I feel it. Um, the sad thing is, is that the only phrase we know? I mean, I, the Irish have brought a lot to this world, and pretty much all we've got is a Lucky Charms phrase. Yeah. So I imagine Kiss Me, I'm Irish came from someone Irish. <laughs> why is it always about kissing with you? Well, I just, why is that? Uh, I... I don't have a good answer. <laughs> I'm married. <laughs> what was that, Mike? I was laughing. It okay. was funny. Um, kiss me, I'm Irish. Yeah. Okay. You. That's your phrase. <laughs> if I point to you, Jess, you got to pull out the kiss me, I'm Irish. But can I say it like an American? Because I don't do accents. No, no, you do. do no, do your New Jersey accent because yeah. that, that sounds a lot like the Irish accent. <laughs> okay, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's try that one more time there, James. They're after me lucky charms. Yeah, that was very leprechauny. See, poor Irish, that just sit there and we're just ruining their identity, their name. I mean, it's a leprechaun or a T-shirt motto. <laughs> Kiss me, I'm Irish. Anyway, welcome to the show, everybody. Today's a great show. This is one of my favorite days, St. Patty's Day. I have Irish in me. Can you tell? I'm wearing a mint green shirt. Mint green. Is that what most Irish people do? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. They're known for the mint green shirts. And here's the deal. Like the holiday. Love it a lot. It's harder because when you're, when you're LDS, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we don't drink. So this seems to be a holiday where people drink alcohol. That is true. I mean, you've got to get some good old Irish brew. Yeah, ale. Hang out in the pub. Hang out in the pub. See, we're using, we're using all the terms. They, I'm just throwing them out, yeah. you know? We and we so we don't drink so we don't party like that. But I also, as a child, remember the history of the Irish, the potato, in Ireland. And potatoes are probably my favorite food. If I were at home today, we would be having um, Irish stew or maybe corned beef and potatoes. Ooh, corned beef and hash. Yeah. Mm. I don't know about the kiss potato me. I'm Irish. <laughs> oh, kiss. Oh, that sorry, was good. Guess, that, You're, we that totally beats mine. That was maybe you should do it. Um, I don't know the potato thing. I imagine I'm not the only one out there. Well, we're going to hear about it, I'm sure. Are we? Merritt knows everything. Oh, good. Okay, and she grew up in Idaho, so Idahoans know about the Irish potato. Uh, no, we know about Idaho potatoes. They're far superior in every way. It's, well, you, I feel again, like everybody see, should know I that. Feel, I feel like we're Sometimes not Sometimes people say things about Washington potatoes 
No. Let me just tell you. This no, Washington own the apples. They are the apple Idaho capital. Idaho has the monopoly on the great potato. Yeah, right. Just so you know. And hey, Utah, sugar beets. Sugar beets. That's what we're known for. And, and plastic surgery. And anyway. plastic surgery. Really? And salt. Yes. And salt tax. I actually saw, I saw this really interesting thing. It was from Time Magazine. They had it mapped out. And then for every state, they had what that state is most known for oh, yeah, in terms I saw of that. industry. Yes. And it was plastic surgery in Utah. Was it so, really? Yes, it was. And it was Mormons. No. We're known for Mormons. No. That was a different surgery. one. It, it had to do with commerce. So, okay. Yeah. Plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. That just seems funny to me. It is interesting. Okay. But you only have to, you know, drive down the highway and see all the billboards yeah. to kind of get the gist. Well, it's because I think we like to be the best we can be. So, you know, a little plastic Even surgery. Even if it's a step too far. I mean, that anyway. doesn't hurt. So uh, on the show today, fascinating subject. Uh, we are going to be talking about religion and psychology. Because, you, know, you know, a lot of people just try to push religion for a variety of reasons. Like, you know, join mine, then... You know, you'll be cool. Yeah. But well, and there's I think some it's... immense research behind religion and what it does to your brain. Oh, yeah, definitely. And we also just have to remember that the only time you ever see religion in the news is when something horrible has happened yeah. in terms of religion and um, something extreme, like something a, yeah, a very war. out of the norm. And right. so today's kind of just an opportunity to focus on what religion actually does for people um, because most people in the world – belong to a religion and most people in the world do great things because of that so there's a lot of good behind it and it's psychologically it changes you yeah it benefits you in lots of ways in both psychological and physical ways so we'll get into that later with our guest um i do have some interesting stuff though about uh saint patrick's day to get back to that like what well saint patrick's day is a religious holiday yeah saint patrick he's a saint but do you know why He's a saint. Potatoes. No. Are you sure? I'm, I'm positive. Okay. St. Patrick was born about 387. Wow. 387 in Scotland, actually. Really? So that's a, so little, he's Scottish. That's a little interesting right there. Um, but he was kidnapped by slave traders and brought to Ireland to be a shepherd. <laughs> and after that, I mean, he, he turned to God and he, his love of God grew and he prayed in the woods as many times as he could. Um, and then after he escaped at the age of 20, he joined the priesthood and became a bishop. And then he was tasked with bringing Christianity to Ireland. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. And um, he converted most of the population there. So who were mostly pagan. So St. So Patty's Day is really a celebration it's of a celebration man. of Saint of Saint Patrick bringing Christianity to Ireland, which is a very Catholic, very Christian country. Yeah. And so, um, if you are very religious, lots of people would um, Catholic people would celebrate Saint Patrick's Day by going to a special mass. There you so, go. There you go. Um, but most other people, of course, they they observe it by Saint Patrick's Day parade pub. and yeah, and eating cabbage and corned beef and. Um, another interesting thing is that the shamrock, the yes. three-leafed yes. clover, is considered a symbol of the Trinity. So, Holy cow. Yeah. So. Well, see, then that's weird because everyone's looking for the four-leaf clover. It is interesting. I see, that's that how means. you distort something godly, <laughs> three-leaf yeah. clover, to a four-leaf clover. Yeah, but I think it just goes to show because, I mean, <laughs> I'm even a religious person and I didn't know anything about St. Patrick, which is a little embarrassing, I think. It's sad, especially because um, you're wearing green. I am wearing green. That's more of a shield. 
it's so a, as not it's a defense to be mechanism. pinched. I don't like the pinching thing. Well, again, it seems counter Christian to pinch somebody because they're not wearing green. Except, let's just be clear, <laughs> two of our team members are not wearing green. And you know what? I have not pinched them and won't, don't plan on it. Well, Unless think, Mike is bugging me, then I might. But... Well, Mike, you're not wearing green? You know, pinch me and see what happens, Matt. Actually, I was going to ask Jess to pinch you. Bring it. <laughs> Jess, go pinch Michael. It would turn into a pinching war because neither of them are wearing green. Yeah, uh-huh. so Michael, you feel free to pinch Jess back because she's not wearing green. You got it. Anyway, <laughs> the reason I bring the religiosity of St. Patrick's Day up is that religion permeates a lot more through our society than we actually think it does. Yeah, it's everywhere. So, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's not really something we can avoid. And even though most people say they're not religious, it's – I mean, religion is part of But life. they say, you know, but, you know, smart people aren't religious. You know, that's an interesting thing that you bring up, but it's actually not completely true. There, right. Are, yeah, tons of really smart people and you – Especially recently, there was that really big debate with Bill Nye about, you know, um, creationism. And so the idea of science and religion being compatible has kind of been a hot topic lately. Yeah, like they can't go together. Oh, obviously not, apparently. But actually, that's not true. Um, There was a study recently done. um, More than 10,000 Americans, including scientists and evangelical Protestants. So they had a wide enough range of people that it would be, you know, it was a good sample. Yeah. and they – it was called the Religious Understandings of Science and it showed that only 27 percent of Americans feel that science and religion are in conflict. 27 percent. So that means 73 percent of Americans feel like science and religion can be they can compatible, go yeah. that they are fine, that they don't have any issues. So that's a very interesting thing because 73 percent is a very, very large percentage. It's and again, that's – I guess part of that is just you have to know religion yeah, and you have to know science mm-hmm. and you can't just play on maybe the edges or what someone's telling you. No. And it, it says that you know whether or not science or religion are in conflict depends on what you consider essential to religious faith. That was a quote from Dr. Jason Rosenhaus who's a mathematician at James Madison University. Mm. And so he says that science challenges religion both by refuting church dogmas and by dismissing revelation and religious experiences. But at the same time – if you happen to be in a religion where those things ha- can work in sync with each other. I mean, I don't think that science necessarily – religion isn't something you can disprove. And so if you just accept science as part of your religion, then there's really – there's not much of a conflict yeah. at all. It's um, also – it seems like um, some open-minded scientists, the bigger the, – the more they understand, also realize the the less they understand. Oh, heavens, yes. And so they have to sense that there's – and they do. Some have even stated they sense there's something bigger, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. Um, so I think it's not really necessarily the fact that people look – down on religion, really? I think we hear the people are the most vocal when they're against religion. Right. But mostly it's just people are kind of apathetic about it because it's Whatever. kind of hard. Yeah. I, you know. Well, it's like this holiday. It takes effort. No, yeah, most people, like if you went up green, on the street, right, that's hard. It takes effort. I had to think about that mm-hmm. today. Well, I think, I think if you looked at it, there's five of us here. Three of us are dressed in green. I guess we would be called, I don't know, the faithful. <laughs> Two of us aren't dressed in green. We would, uh, I guess, be called the infidels. Not to be rude, Jess. Oh, well. Or Mike. None taken. Mike gives us thumbs up. We understand <laughs> no our offense. sinful acts. No offense, taken. <laughs> but see, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It was hard. I had to iron this shirt today. Yeah. So 
it's kind of an interesting thing. So I don't, I don't think it's that people are against it. I think the people are just apathetic. There's another survey that was recently done um, that was it was the the poll showed that only that one in five Americans says religion is not that important to them. That's the one phrase that they use. Not right. that important. Um, but. The interesting thing is more than 50% of respondents in the poll said religion is very important to them. And 74% of Americans believe in God. So this is kind of still – it's still something that's a lot permeating – more permeating than we might think it is. I I think people buckle in. We're in for a great ride today. Because even if you – it's so a huge percentage of people think it's important Mm -hmm. yet – aren't necessarily overly active in their belief system. Yeah. Well, and I think just another important thing to take into account is the idea that right now it's not very popular to be religious. Mm-hmm. It's kind of looked down on. But in has terms it ever of, been? I mean, not really. Recently, no. Like in the last. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. it's not something that people, you know, you want to. Until Matthew McConaughey. It's true. Matthew McConaughey invokes was God and his spiritual that at all, belief. Which was very admirable. Um, but yeah, it's not something that, you know, you really advertise, I don't right. think, or, you know, people, but the thing is, there are lots of really cool benefits about oh, yeah. belonging to religion and being religious. And so fact, that's, that's our what guest today. To Dr. Thomas Plant will be joining us in a few uh, segments. He's going to teach us the kind of the, the, the psychological benefits, the psychological impacts of, of having a religious belief. We're going to get into religion and spirituality. Is there a difference? We're going to be talking about a lot of fun stuff today. And honestly, um, again, it's not even – we're coming from Brigham Young University. And so you know, we're not here to just push a religion. But there are benefits of it that are much bigger than probably most of us recognize. We're taking a break. We're coming back. And when we get into it, uh, when we come back, we'll be talking with uh, Jessica about religion and some amazing acts of service. Then our guest, Dr. Thomas Plant, will be joining us. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. Happy St. Patrick's Day right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little Irish jig for you. In fact, if I could get her to stop, Jess, if you would stop, you could come be on the show right now. Jess is kicking it up, kicking her knees really high into the air <laughs> with her cute hey, arms stretched hey, out. Hey. <laughs> uh, hey, welcome back to the program, folks. Today we're talking about religion and psychology. What better day to do it than on St. Patty's Day, uh, you know, in honor of St. Patrick, who brought Christianity to the Irish. It's a good and. Day. Jess is here talking about the fact that not only um, do, you know, we don't just spread the word of Christianity and religion. That's not the only purpose, but it's service. Yeah. So Jess has been doing some research on some seriously amazing service performed by religious organizations Mm -hmm. around the world. Yeah. And not all are Catholic. Well, no. Yeah. And to be honest, I probably couldn't tell you what all of these religions believe, but... right. All of the ones that I'm going to bring up have done really incredible things as far as serving people. And I think that that's something that religion brings up a lot is being able to help your fellow man. Because if I mean, when we have world disasters, you know, tsunamis or massive earthquakes, you know, it's it's 
a lot of the times you see the religious organizations jump in. And, and who would do it if they didn't? I guess we would all just depend on governments to jump in. Yeah. And who's going to teach people to serve? I guess the government teaches everyone to serve. Eventually, religions perform this incredible right. experience. And they have. And they have, so and they do. Talk so about let's it. hear them. So um, the Sikh religion yeah. have a temple where they, um, they're able to feed 50,000 a day. And it costs sixteen to twenty four thousand. Fifty thousand people are fed a day, right? At this temple, yeah. And what is wow. cool about it is that the people who are serving there, um, they have people who are there on a daily basis, but then they have people just come and serve randomly. So there was this to show up, like I want to go serve at the temple. Yeah, and and a lot of how it runs is through donations. Wow. They, I mean, obviously that would be. An incredible bill for someone yeah. to feed, but because of the donations around, it only costs twenty thousand, sixteen thousand, whatever to yeah. feed fifty thousand people. Yeah, I mean, well, I wonder what they're eating though. Come on. Oh, it actually potatoes, steak, uh, a sweet rice dish mm. made with sugar, raisins, coconut, almonds, mm. and rice pudding. We call that here in the states. Four types of seeds. Anyways, cool. anyways, okay. So, but I wanted to bring up the people that donate just do random. They nobody is telling them to come. They just kind of come and, and they would happens. show up. They would go straight to the kitchen and peel for ten, you know, peel potatoes for ten minutes or the whole day. You know, yeah. no one really it's just regulates it. They just want to help. But they they're go inspired. Help. They're prompted. They show up. See, somehow that's helping them, right? They, oh yeah. Just personally, they benefit just by going to serve. And later in the show, we'll talk about how it helps us. But. Um, what are some other? What are some other religions? So the Baptist Children's Services um, has a grant for twenty thousand dollars, a twenty thousand dollar grant um, for new clothes and shoes for the youth hmm. of that organization. So they just put together the grant, got the money together, and now they're giving away cl- clothes and shoes. Yeah, and yeah. it's for thirteen to eighteen year olds in foster care, kinship care, and congregated care or emergency shelter. So that's cool. That's so nice because people in those situations need help. And oh, people yeah. are there to help them. Um, the Catholics um, were a big part of Sandy when that hit. Um, they came in and more than $2.4 million in direct assistance to more than 6,000 families. Wow. So well, I mean, that's a lot dire- of money. Yeah. But- Plus just, I mean, being there, just having people there. Yeah. How cool is that that you're sitting there? And I heard a lot of stories about the LDS Church with this with the tsunami mm-hmm. in the Philippines. Yeah, well, the LDS Church. <laughs> it was it was easier for me to find things on that because I that's my religion. <laughs> yeah, but they've helped in um, more than two hundred natural disasters oh, yeah. and first responding. You know, so they they've had a lot of really good ones. So here's this extension of a belief system, a belief in God from variety of different types. Mm-hmm. Some were Christian. Some aren't. Yeah. And everyone has a different kind of view or belief system. And yet when someone's hurting, they inherently go to their value system and use their beliefs to go help and change and serve and love other people. Right. I mean, how is that harmful? That's crazy. Well, that's awesome. You know, I think the beautiful thing about service around the world is that it no longer matters who's right or who's wrong. It's about helping and it's about um, being able to just you know, stop worrying about all your cares and to worry about someone else for a little yeah. bit. And I think that 
you know, whether you are in the Sikh religion or Catholic or Baptist or LDS, I think just the opportunity to go outside of yourself, um, it obviously intrigues a lot of people. Yeah, because they do it. Yeah. Without... <laughs> well, and it, it's, it goes deeper than than the normal act. Right. You know, your everyday yeah. things that you're doing anyways. It's a little bit deeper than that. So, and then what I love about it too is at the end you've you kind of get paid. It seems like you have your payday at the end of your service, right? So, or I mean through your service. So you're getting paid as you go. And what I love too is you're being paid in something that's not market based. Yeah, you know, what yeah. I mean? it's funny. I'll even bet some of these numbers aren't even accurate from these organizations because their goals aren't always to go track their numbers. Yeah, right. So they're just yeah. here to change lives, feel good improve yeah. people. Well, and like we said, there's such a need for it. And it, it was kind of disappointing. I'm going to be honest. I was looking for like two hours on <laughs> on like different religions and, yeah. and what they've done for people because I knew it was out there. Yeah. I know religions are, oh, yeah. you know, because you, you hear about it in typhoon crises. Right. You know, they're doing things. Um, but it was really hard to find. And I think that that's another, you know, market yeah. kind of thing is that they don't they don't solicit it. They right. don't want to be like, oh, look at us. We're doing this. Yeah, you know, we, look, we're so amazing. That's, that's not why they're doing it. That's what I love about like Mother Teresa in right. the streets of Calcutta, right? So she, someone would came, came up to her, and I remember um, a story where they asked her, so how do you do this? How do you take care of these sick and and just, you know, just horribly oppressed, sad people all the time? Mm-hmm. And she just smiled and said, well, because every time I'm helping one of them, I look in their face and I can see my God in the face of these people. Wow. So it's not, she says, it's not like I'm just serving them just one by one. I'm serving my God as I serve them one by one. Right. See, so the power of having some spiritual vision of what you're about changes the act to not be so deplorable or not so gross or not so negative. Yeah, because a lot of these situations would be almost oh. repulsive oh, if yeah. you didn't have a, you know, bigger picture in mind. Oh, yeah. Because you wouldn't I mean, who would want to go into a environment that is sad and just oh, yeah. almost breathtaking because it it is so, you know, depressing mm-hmm. and, and How many how many how many nuns at, in hospitals how many pastors and ministers and bishops and missionaries in countries far spread? How many times has a person been blessed or given last rites or whatever your religious belief is to somebody who was dying? And how much peace has that brought? And so if you could accumulate and gather all this information together, wouldn't that not be fascinating to actually know the impact of the quiet service taking place? Holy cow! Okay. That's the show. Jess, good job. Thanks. Great research. We're going um, to be bringing on, we're taking a break. Come back. Dr. Thomas Plant will be joining us. He, uh, we're going out with a jig, by the way. Going out with a little jig. I don't know what it is, but my toe's starting to tap right now. Uh, we'll come back talking psychology and religion, the positive impact it has on us psychologically, what it does to our brain. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Incredibly uh, interesting topic today, especially if it's, and as we tie it to St. Patrick's Day, um, religion and psychology. We are talking about the power religion has and the impact it has on our psyche, on our psychological health, uh, even our brain, what religion can do in all of those regards. And we, we have a, a wonderful guest. Uh, Dr. Thomas Plant is joining us. He's a Ph.D. professor of psychology at Santa Clara University. And I'm going to have him explain this to us in a minute. He's also, uh, I, I think, termed the Augustan Cardinal Bea, which he, I, I want his explanation on what that is. Uh, he serves as the director of the Spirituality and Health Institute at Santa Clara University. He has authored and edited 19 books, including Religion, Spirituality, and Positive Psychology, Understanding the Fruits of Faith. He's been featured in numerous media outlets, you know, from the Nightly News, NBC Nightly News, CNN, you name it. He's been on the big shows, and he has evaluated or treated more than 850 priests and applicants to the priesthood and deaconate uh, as, and has served as a consultant for a number of church dioceses and religious orders. He lives with his wife, Lori, also a psychologist, and son, Zach, in California. Dr. Plant, thank you again for, for being on the show with us, and welcome. Well, thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be with you today. It is an honor to have you. Now, help us explain that, I guess, that designation, that title, Augustine Cardinal Bea. What is that? Yeah, that's an. Uh, I have an endowed chair here at Santa Clara University, which is um, named after uh, Cardinal uh, Bea, who was a uh, German and Jesuit um, cardinal who was instrumental during Vatican II on Catholic-Jewish dialogue. Oh, interesting. And, uh, and so, uh, so it's an endowed chair named after, in his honor. How fascinating. And so, and so that's an endowed chair. You serve, you know, you teach, but in, in, your, in your work there, you, you're really interested in, to me, what is a very fascinating subject of positive psychology and religion. Right. Because right. now, just get into that a little bit. How, how did you get interested in that topic? And and what and maybe explain to the folks about positive psychology. Sure. Well, first off, um, I've always been fascinated by human behavior and psychology ever since I was a young child, and I pursue and I decided to pursue psychology as a career path uh, from the time I was in elementary school. Basically, mm. I always thought it was a fascinating, interesting thing. How is it that people um, operate the way they do? Why do they behave the way they do? But I've also been very interested since I was a young child, interested in religion as well. I grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition on the East Coast and uh, was always uh, active and engaged in church activities and, and so forth. And uh, over time decided uh, there, there's a way to combine both uh, the psychology world and the religion world. Now, positive psychology is a fairly new uh, branch or subdivision of psychology in the sense that, um, it, uh, that it, over the years, uh, through the influence of people like, you know, Sigmund and Freud right. and other uh, leading uh, um, uh, thinkers, psychology was argued to be very negative. You know, what, what, what is it about uh, human beings that create bad behavior, problem behavior, psychopathology? And so some researchers um, uh, uh, fairly recently, over the last few decades, have put together this notion of positive psychology, saying, hey, enough of the psychopathology and the problems in 
how humans are not so great. <laughs> Let's look at how they flourish. Uh, what makes them good? What makes them compassionate and things like wow. that? And and that's what positive psychology is uh, is sort of about. What brings out the best in people, not so much what brings out the worst. Well, and it's it's fascinating because again, that seems to jive so perfectly. So many of the ideas I know in the field of psychology or positive psychology. Um, they they so mirror what you're learning in church and about service or, or about um, losing yourself or concepts that you might learn in the Bible or other sacred text about um, service and compassion and love. I mean, in the end, it's about the good stuff. I guess we could always talk about the sin side of how you'll be destroyed and whatever. But in the end, I think the whole idea of religion is to motivate you to be good. Yeah, I think that's really true, and I think that we see that through um, all of the religious traditions at their best. Uh, in fact, uh, one uh, one uh, classic popular book that came out uh, not a few years back by a well-known author, Karen Armstrong, uh, that talk that looks at the the formation and and the history of the major religious traditions along the world. That she concludes in her analysis that at the end of the day, they all were trying to find a way to support and underscore compassion. Mm. And making the world a better place, uh, and to be compassionate for uh, to others, and so forth. Uh, we just uh, the last week we ha- or the week before we had uh, the Dalai Lama, for example, on our campus here mm. at Santa Clara University, and uh, and of course that his his message is that at the end of the day it's all about compassion and yeah. kindness and so forth. And so, unfortunately, the press, the po- popular pr- uh, press, the media tends to focus on the worst part of religion. Exactly. You know people not getting along and fighting and blowing up planes and this and that. But but what we, they don't report on is how it can bring out the very best in people as well. Mm. And, and two, what it, just what it does to our brain, what it does to uh, our psyche. Talk about, because, and let's, I guess, just get some terms out, because it seems like some people just are against religion if it's kind of like an organized religion idea versus spirituality. What what would you say is the difference between religion, the term, and spirituality? Well, um, that's a great question and one that's on the mind of many. And for the most part, we think of religion as being the organizational structures uh, that uh, uh, of a faith tradition. Right. You know, so whether that's um, you know Mormonism or Catholicism or uh, or Episcopalianism or, or Judaism and so forth, but it's kind of the organizational structure around uh, a faith community. Okay. Where spirituality is something much more broader. Uh, it speaks to kind of getting in touch with the sacred, something above and beyond yourself. Some people do certainly find that within their religious tradition, but some people find it in nature and other places. Okay. And in general, religion is, has become in America sort of a bad word, and spirituality has become a good word, right. uh, with, a lot, with about 30% of the American population reporting that they are, quote, spiritual but not religious. Ah. And I think what they're referring to, basically, is that many of the religious traditions, of course, have, um, have had uh, terrible press over the years and, uh, and dirty laundry. Laundry, yeah. uh, if you exposed and so forth, and and more and more people are saying, well, you know, I don't want to be associated with that. I want to be associated with the better side of uh, the religious spiritual traditions, right. and and that speaks to things like meditation and prayer and stuff like that. Not so much about you know hierarchy and dogma and sin and all of that. It's like, and we don't want to, you know, we if we're not going to be associated with the religious organizations, we we also don't we want to at least get credit for being spiritual. So. It's, <laughs> I don't want the negative side, but I am a very spiritual person, right? 
Yeah, I think that is true. You know, and of course, uh, some people have have ra- rallied around uh, atheism in recent years. We have what we call the new atheists, and some people have rejected religion uh, entirely, and and some people have rejected spirituality entirely too. And so you've got that element that's been getting press in in more recent times too. What, what do you think it is about religion? Um... I guess, too, even psychologically, that drives everyone to the extremes, right? So it seems like <laughs> you, you become a zealot or you become kind of the infidel. This, these, it's, you've got two choices. But, yeah, and, and that's really unfortunate because that's not where most people are. Right. Uh, you know, the, ma- the vast majority of people are not uh, extremists on either side of the spectrum, but it seems like the extremists get all the press. Yeah, that, maybe that's <laughs> it, huh? Because we, we do. The press will cover the, extreme, the, you know, the extreme positions. That's right. They they do. And that's, I think, unfortunate because it gives a warped view of the tr- religious traditions. And so you can name any of the religious traditions and uh, what generally people know about them, particularly if it's not their r- tradition. So it's something they don't really right. know that much about other than what they read in the press. And they come to uh, conclusions that are based on the extremists. Uh, they're not uh, coming to conclusions based on the, the average or the typical. Uh, and I think that's ultimately really unfortunate because people all and have very negative points of view about traditions other than their own when they really don't know enough about traditions right. other than their own. And mean, if they did, they can si- find some of the good, the beauty, uh, the, the inspiration, and so forth. And, they sh- and I don't think they should be afraid of, uh, of, of objectively looking at the, what the traditions are offering out mm. there. It's, it's so powerful to think, I mean, Religion, one of the the age old greatest longest institutions. These these institutions, many of them have been around for a long, long time, thousands of years, and yet um, we we still carry very uh, sometimes closed minded views about it. And um, you you worked a lot, I know, with trying like I guess interviewing um, I guess potential candidates to become priests. Is that what you did? Yeah, so I do a lot of um, I do uh, psychological evaluations and testing as, and interviews with those who want to become um, uh, clerics, uh, priests, or deacons in the Roman Catholic Church, the Episcopalian Church, uh, and the Greek and Russian Orthodox Church. Wow. Uh, and so anyone who wants to become a cleric uh, in those organizations have to go through a psychological evaluation, including psychological testing, to make sure that they're sort of fit for duty, if mm-hmm. you will. Right. And, uh, and so I do a lot of these, um, most particularly for the Catholics and the Episcopalians. What, what do you just see in an overall idea of the, the what are they bringing? What, why is it certain people seek after that role, which is so entirely you know, you know, faithfully uh, in, embedded, I don't know, I don't know what to call it, but they're so into giving their entire life to it. What do you see going on in their psyche, in their head? Well, you know, in a lot of ways, so many of these people are terribly inspiring and um, in the sense that, you know, no one becomes a cleric to become rich. Right, <laughs> no, right. You know, in our, and in our culture in America where, you know, we seem to worship, you know, money and, and success and celebrity and so forth, um, these folks are, are saying no to that and yes to something hmm. uh, uh, that's, uh, that's very, very different and very countercultural nowadays, um, uh, that they feel called to serve 
serve uh, the people of God. They feel called to, to kind of make the world a better place. And some are willing to go through great sacrifice. So, for yeah. example, in the Catholic tradition, they have to have vows of obedience mm-hmm. and chastity. And if they're in the religious orders, poverty. And um, some people come from great success and wealth. Uh, some have had great uh, educational opportunities that have resulted in, you know, advanced degrees and, wow. and successful careers. And, it, and they reflect and they discern and they say, you know, this isn't satisfying. I want to become a priest or deacon or something like that. Yeah. And uh, it's ter- it can be terribly inspiring. Now, now some people, of course, choose to go into religious life for less than um, uh, positive reasons, and those are some of the pe- people we're trying to. Yeah, you know, you're trying screen. to sort them out, right? And uh, some of them just come to it from also some great from great tragedy too. You know, some people have have had a, a, you know problems with a, a family of origins, with abuse and neglect and alcoholism and so forth. Some have been homeless. Some have even mm. worked as uh, prostitutes and drug dealers. Right. And yet they've somehow had a what you might call a come to Jesus moment or something, and they've turned their life around. And and months and years have gone by, and 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 their change seems to be. Uh, um, permanent or sustainable, and now they're ready to commit themselves to religious life in a full-time way. And that's very exciting and very inspiring, and, and it's unfortunate that the media doesn't uh, ever report on those yeah, kind of stories. They only exactly. report on the folks who are getting into great trouble. That's so true. It is so true. And maybe, too, that's why they're also surprised by the by Pope Francis, because like he's making such a positive impact that even the media have to recognize it. Oh, yeah. And as one of my colleagues and friends, uh, uh, Father Tom Reese, is a Jesuit uh, priest who often does a, a, a lot of commentary in the media, he, he says, it's, 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 quote, it's fun to be Catholic again. And uh, I think <laughs> it's he, in vogue. He's right. Uh, yeah. you know, Pope Francis has been a delightful and exciting um, uh, change of spirit, you could say. Mm-hmm. And even though uh, Catholic dogma or rules or this or that may not have changed in the past year since during his pontificate, uh, you know, he that emphasis on mercy and humility and, and so forth has been terribly refreshing. Yeah. No, I think it's beautiful. And again, as an um, LDS man broadcasting from Brigham Young University, it, it, there's still power in just having people that are spiritual and and bring that spirit back. I think we elevate everybody when we're all doing the best we can spiritually. We're going to take a break. We're talking with Dr. Thomas Plant. He's a a professor of psychology at Santa Clara University. He was also an adjunct professor at Stanford as well. Fascinating discussion right now about religion and psychology. When we come back, uh, Dr. Plant's going to teach us about the impact of spirituality in our lives psychologically, how religion and spirituality are impacted and how it impacts our psychology when when we start moving these things together. We're taking a break. Again, talking with Dr. Thomas Plant. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we are talking today about religion and psychology. We have a wonderful guest joining us. Thomas Plant is here. He's a Ph.D. and a professor of psychology at Santa Clara University. 
He has done a lot of research on the positive impacts, the, the positive psychological benefits of religion and spirituality. In fact, he authored and has, has edited 19 books, including Religion, Spirituality, and Positive Psychology, Understanding the Fruits of Faith. And uh, we so are glad he's here. Thomas, thank you again for joining us. You're welcome. It's just a treat to be with you. It's. It, I love this topic because... Uh, you know, forever we've known that there was something, you know, really positive about spirituality and religion. But now our, it's almost like the science is catching up and we're starting to see the real benefits of it. Why don't you just teach us? What, what, are, you, what are we learning about the psychological benefits of religion and spirituality? Well, you're right. You know, the science is catching up to, to the great wisdom traditions. And as you know, you know, the great religious uh, traditions have been around for an awfully yeah. long time, but they didn't have the scientific method and empirical research way back in the day to really um, prove uh, that some of these uh, great wisdom uh, that's secured from sacred scripture and so forth and the traditions actually have any validity to right. them. And so what we've tried to do, and not just myself, but a lot of professionals who are in the academic world at secular schools as well as uh, religiously affiliated schools have tried to look at um, um, the psychological and physical benefits of spiritual and religious practices and beliefs and so forth and use the very best methodological methods, uh, statistical practices, mm. including randomized clinical trials yeah. to determine whether or not there's actually any truth to this. And so in the book that you were mentioning, this uh, religion spirituality and positive psychology, that what we were trying to do there is take um, Galatians 5, which is uh, fruits of the Spirit. And so the, the quote uh, that's, uh, that's Galatians 5 is, is uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, right. joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Huh. And so our research team uh, from our what's called our Spirituality and Health Institute said, great, that sounds really good. Let's <laughs> see if we can prove it. Interesting. <laughs> and, and, and Testing so we, out. The, that's so great. And so what we said is, let's find um, uh, uh, the, the, the highest quality research and do some of it ourselves as well, and see if there's any empirical support to this Fruits of the Spirit. And there really is. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's so cool. That's the good news. And so when we look at things like um, gratitude, and we look at humility, and we look at hope and forgiveness, and things like this, tolerance, yeah. loving kindness, we do find that those who are engaged actively in spiritual religious practices, and that can be a variety of things from uh, church attendance to prayer to meditation to sacred scripture reading and so forth, we do find quality research evidence that supports it. And, uh, and so um, it is, so the thinking is is that there's something about these practices, and, they, and they're not limited to any one tradition or anything like that, right. um, uh, that, that, um, uh, that they do uh, uh, have a variety of benefit. And right now, the most popular area of research is in the area of meditation. This is very, very popular right now. Yeah, that's it. Uh, you know, the whole mindfulness meditation right, exactly. and things like that. But, you know, the mindfulness meditation comes from the Buddhist tradition, which is perfectly fine. Sure. But, but the Christian tradition also has um, a centering prayer and a variety of other methods that are very similar to mindfulness. Yeah. And we can look at that research, too. Now, to be fair, there's a lot more empirical research right now on mindfulness than on centering prayer. But there is research in some of these areas, and they are supporting uh, a variety of health, um, both physical and mental 
environmental health benefit from these practices. So we think that, uh, uh, and again, this isn't just my point of view or the point of view of the researchers that I'm working with. Uh, this is getting pretty well established in the uh, professional literature uh, and uh, not only at, conducted at uh, religiously affiliated schools, but again, the secular ones too. I think it's, I mean, hello, duh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and we're not just preaching to the choir, but being humble pays off. You're going to learn more. You're going to see more. You're going to probably be noticing things because you're not going to jump. I mean, almost every one of these. And then, and I don't remember, I, I do remember Galatians 5, but I think at the very end of that, it says something like uh, one of the phrases in the Bible right in that verse, I think it was 5, Galatians 5.22, would say something like, and without um, some, such there is no law. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, yeah, I do. So, yeah, so I do. it's like this is so cool to me because it doesn't whether 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 uh, the traditional academic world gets it or not. These laws of humility, hope, loving, you know, kindness—they're still going to apply, and they're still going to be fruits of a spiritual view. Yeah, I think that's really true. Now, it is true that, you know, in some respects, we have a curvilinear relationship with religion and health in the sense that um, um, some people uh, who get uh, to be uh, religion can be very health damaging, sure. uh, both physically and sexual, uh, um, physically and um, um, mentally health damaging. Um, um, but for the most part, uh, it is uh, the most of the research is uh, when practiced with sincerity and an openness and tolerance and so forth uh, that it's actually health enhancing in a variety of different ways. Yeah. Uh, not only in terms of the actual practices, but also doing it in community, having uh, support, people of like mind, people that um, you share, uh, uh, you know, interests and uh, so forth with. And, you know, in America, more and more people are living alone. Uh, there are more Americans living alone than with yeah. somebody else. Right. And in our highly individualistic and isolative kind of um, culture, uh, the spiritual religious traditions offer a place of community and support that's hard to get elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, a team, a support group where you can belong and, and, and almost hopefully belong instantly instead of having to kind of earn your way into belonging. Yeah, and I think that's really true. Um, and sometimes when when it's done well, uh, so for uh, it can it can be transformative. So a good example is I just met uh, just a few weeks ago with someone who is applying to uh, to become a uh, cleric in the in the in the church, and uh, he was uh, this is someone who has a, quite a history where he was a, a drug dealer, mm. he was homeless, he was even working as a male prostitute with no place to go, oh, and wow. uh, uh, during a very uh, bad weather day. Uh, being homeless, he stumbles into a church, and um, it was—it was just a random church. He didn't even uh, seek it out, or the particular church. He didn't really care. He just trying to get in from out of the cold. One thing leads to another, and he was really transformed, and uh, and mm. to the point where he got from being a drug abuser, prostitute, uh, homeless person, to having a divinity degree, and wow. uh, you know, being clean and sober, yeah. and uh, and it all he attributes it all 
called to this kind of random walking into this church where he was treated kindly yeah, accepted. and with compassion yeah. and, um, and uh, helped out, and, and one thing leads to another. Well, you know, there's no other place you can walk into where you're going to treat it right. like that. Right. No, it's exactly right. We're talking with Dr. <laughs> Thomas Plant, professor of psychology at Santa Clara University. We're talking, um, as we go through this, about religion and psychology and the impact they have on each other. We're going to take a break. We're coming back. A lot more to come from Dr. Plant after this break. Belonging, uh, the spiritual benefits of understanding the health benefits of, of spirituality, along with just the psychological benefits. There's a lot to learn and a lot to be grateful for. We're taking a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your life coach, your guide on the side. And today we have a wonderful guest, Dr. Thomas Plant is joining us. He's the professor of psychology at Santa Clara University and has served as director of the Spirituality and Health Institute of Santa Clara University. He's also authored and edited 19 books, including the one we're talking about today, Religion, Spirituality, and Positive Psychology, Understanding the Fruits of Faith. So we so enjoy uh, having you on, Dr. Plant. Thank you, and keep teaching us. What? Um, welcome back. Well, thank you. Got to make sure to you're there. You. And here's what is, is interesting. Um, like you were saying, there's just—you were giving the example of this person you had been talking to that had, had really gone through some horrible, difficult, tough stuff— uh, even from into drugs and other you know activities, and then finds a place to belong in a religion uh, counters with the the counters kind of the teachings of life with other principles, healthy principles he finds himself i mean where you see that regularly i guess that's that sounds like alcoholics anonymous where you 're kind of just automatically accepted in there 's some inherent goodwill and benefit i mean there's a lot of things, health-wise, psychologically, that we benefit from when it comes to spirituality and religion. What are some more ways that you see, that you see, you know, religious faith or, or um, a religious uh, adherence to a, a faithful, you know, belief set? Where do you see that impacting lives? Yeah, well, there, again, going back to the empirical research, and I should mention that, you know, in order to make real progress in this area, we, we have to use the best that science has to offer, the right. best research methodology, the best um, statistical approaches, and so forth. It, uh, it has to be done with sort of the objectivity of science uh, in order to have any kind of credibility. Yeah. And so, so that's really important. So, you, so doing randomized trials, doing double-blind studies, and so forth, that's used in medicine and similar in public health and so forth um, needs to be done in this area and is being done in this area. And, that, and so, so, so with that being said, if we go back into the empirical literature and we look at what are the um, benefits of spiritual religious practices, they come in different flavors, you could say. Um, uh, one has to do with uh, 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 what we would call external versus internal religiosity. External religiosity is just showing up. Um, 
um, is, as we jokingly say, is the butt in the pew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, do you show You're up? You're there. Really... Yeah. So, so that research is, is focused on, do people just show up? Are they actively engaged in things? We don't really care what they're thinking, what they believe, or whatever. Do they just show up? And then the internal religiosity research, it looks at what they believe, what mm. they think, what they believe, and so forth, uh, and what's going on in their mind. And then, uh, and then we look at benefits, both physical and mental uh, health benefits, and so forth. And we basically see that uh, different kinds of spiritual religious practices and activity result in different benefits. So, for example, when people just show up, they find themselves engaged in community, and um, and that community has a, a variety of benefits. There's social support. Uh, there's helping out in a variety of different ways. There's yeah. feel a sense of belonging. And and it, regardless of what someone believes or doesn't believe or, or practices at home. Uh, uh, and so, uh, whereas the internal uh, spirituality, religiosity, uh, the prayer, the meditation, has its own uh, um, a benefit of calming down, of, uh, of, uh, of stress management, of um, lowering physiological stress reactivity, uh-huh. and so forth. And so the different kinds of practices have different kind of benefit. That's fascinating. Um, I mean, that is fascinating. Like, I look at just people that I go to church with, and a lot of times you can just see, boy, they really love the social side of this. And then there's <laughs> others that are just begging to not have to show up because, you know, maybe anxiety. I mean, I could even see someone struggling with going to a big religious group if they have anxiety, and yet they'd rather just go go do kind of the internal you're talking about, which is just go learn to meditate and, and ponder and get close to God on their own. No, I think that's really true. And, you know, I come from the Catholic tradition, and, and certainly some people go to uh, Catholic Mass, and they like the social. They like interacting with others. They like schmoozing yeah. before or after services. And, and a lot of people uh, do not. Uh, they see it as being a very kind of a, a meditative, prayerful-like place. They like to sit in the back or off to the side. They don't like looking, uh, look engaging so much with, the, with others. They, they like sort of taking it all in mm. um, and using it as a time for meditation and reflection. And, and you know, it's all good. Right. <laughs> and so part of the research says uh, that, you know, um, uh, different strokes for different folks, and, yeah. um, and, and it's helpful to have some sense of what makes sense for you. How, what do you get out of the experience? And that's okay. Uh, and uh, putting, putting the butt in the pew can also result in unexpected uh, benefit. Uh, so, you know, uh, sometimes people People say, well, geez, I don't know why I'm going. I don't get anything out of it. Yeah. Or I don't like the sermon or something like yeah. that. And yet they go and they get surprised mm-hmm. uh, by something positive and, and, uh, or, or, or an interaction that was very helpful or transformative or, or something that just um, struck them in a certain way. And like, so, for example, like in the, in the Christian tradition, of course, and even in other traditions, uh, the Jewish tradition and so forth, you know, the stories are well known. Right. You know, we, know, uh, the, you know, we know the Gospels very, very well. We, li- we know the Torah very, very well. We've heard these stories a gajillion times, but they hit you in different ways in different times of your life or different family circumstances or other circumstances. And uh, being open to that, uh, hmm. we think, has uh, a variety of benefit to it. What, what is there, and, and do you see research, and have you found anything in, in your research about just the idea that there's something that brought us here to this earth 
and something just just the paradigm that there's someone that that is waiting for us while we're here and will be waiting and will be ready to receive us when we leave this earth. Well, that's a really great question. And some are saying that's that's a better question for the physicists or yeah. the astrophysicists yeah. for, than the, for psychologists. But of course, you know, certainly in the psychology world, and Freud spoke of this uh, um, not in a very positive way, but more in a negative way. Yeah. That you know that there's a there's a wish fulfillment or a hopefulness that you know this isn't all it, and that there is something better uh, or something that will give us peace and solace uh, in terms of uh, the future, and. Uh, so from a psychological standpoint, certainly we would desire some kind of uh, mm. uh, 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 peace and solace upon death and so forth, and we're here for a purpose. But regardless of our religious beliefs and traditions and so forth, perp- we know that purpose and meaning is very, very important for people, for their psychological well-being. Right. And there's plenty of research about that. Yeah. And we know that religion and spirituality help to achieve that purpose and meaning. Yeah. And so, so, um, uh, so, so whether it is true or not true, uh, 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 in terms of the metaphysics of it all, um, there is something about purpose and meaning that is extremely important for psychological health and well-being, and the religious spiritual traditions offer thoughtful it's, reflection on that question. You know, we just barely took a, a group of 17-year-old boys, I don't know, probably 10 of them, we went to um, a friend of mine is a is an emergency room physician, and it was just a group from my church, and we're trying to show him other careers. And we went in and sat down with this emergency room doc, and he sat down at the very end. He taught an interesting thing, which I think is is exactly what you're teaching. That um, he says well, there's one thing he does about two or three times a week where he has to go sit down with people, families that have had someone pass. They've passed. They've moved on. They're dead. And he gets to bring them this news. And he says, what amazes me is those that have a a strong kind of um, belief set or belief system or religion or I mean, not even a strong one, but a belief in something strong. um, And and this concept, they, they manage that most difficult time so differently than those that don't seem to have anything to hang their hat on. Yeah, and there's a, a wide body of research literature that's of very high quality, published in very uh, reputable um, peer-reviewed outlets that speak of what we call religious coping, mm. and that's that's what you're ta- referring to, that we use um, our spiritual religious traditions uh, as a way of coping with stress uh, and the stress of like losing losing a loved one and things, and it helps to organize and center us. It gives us meaning and purpose, and it helps us cope. And uh, the tradition are really quite good at f- helping people with tools in order to cope. Yeah. And, um, and so uh, that is absolutely true, and their empirical research um, supports what this ER doctor Isn't that amazing? Uh, is and talking he, about. He just kind of noticed it just in life. Um, one of the things you also do, you, you've, your forte, is you, you also present it from a positive psychology approach, like we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. It seems like um, if people are looking for the miracle— they're going to see more positive miracles. If mm-hmm. um, if people aren't aren't looking for the positive, they're going to probably see, you know, the negative. So mm-hmm. is is that is that part of the benefit of religion? Is or even I guess just if we're teaching people to look for the good, we're more likely to see the good. It's just it's almost just self fulfilling, right? 
Yeah, no, no, that's true. And again, there's empirical research that supports that. So, for example, uh, do you see the glass half empty or half full? Are you, do you tend to be a grateful person or not? And so, for example, even our conception or image of God matters. So, for example, one of my colleagues who is at the uh, one of the uh, South Florida universities uh, does research with AIDS patients, mm. looking at their image of God. And those, and she's a physician, and she is, uh, uh, follows T-cell activity and other uh, measures of immune functioning. Oh, wow. And when people have a sort of a negative image of God, judgmental, I got the illness because I, I'm being punished by God and so forth, their physiological um, immune functioning uh, is much poorer. Wow. And when and she's done randomized trials where then you then take people and train them to see God as a more loving and compassionate and forgiving uh, image. And as you do that, you see improvement in their immune functioning, mm-hmm. and uh, which has better outcomes for AIDS. Uh, and so uh, it, it, we can see it on a physiological level as well as a psychological level that your mindset matters or your, your half, uh, the glass half full versus yeah. half empty really matters. And so that positive uh, embracing uh, the benefit and so forth, I certainly see this in my clinical practice as well with patients who, uh, who suffer from a variety of uh, troubles. And, um, and, and we can even experience this ourselves with a quick exercise. I mean, if you you think of let's say let's say over the past five or ten years if you list out all the years and you say okay focus on the worst thing that happened to you during each one of the past let's say five to ten years look at what your mood does mm. look at what your body does and then if you take those same years and say okay what is the very best thing that happened to you in the last let's say five or ten years look at what your mood does yeah look at what right your there body does. it's so real it's so real <laughs> Um, talk. We've got about two or three minutes left. What what should we do to incorporate all of this into our lives? What should we do if the average person's out there driving? Let's say they have a belief system, a, a faith system, and maybe they're not as involved as they need to be, or they feel they should be. Or um, what should, what would what are your recommendations to incorporate, you know, a healthier religious and spirituality approach to our lives? Well, I think it's a wonderful question, and uh, and uh, it can be a hot button issue for many because you know many people have been victim feel victimized sure. by no, their sure. spiritual tradition or religious tradition. Uh, for example, you know I work with p- p- uh, patients who have been um, sexually violated mm. uh, by their clerics, right. uh, and of course they feel very much um, victimized not only by an individual but by the tradition. And so, what I think people uh, could, need to do could be could be helpful for them is to first take a deep deep breath and. <laughs> And, um, and have and and try to remind themselves that the spiritual religious world is actually a very large tent, and there's and with whatever their tradition is, it doesn't matter Christianity, Judaism, Mormonism, Catholicism, it doesn't matter. That it's a big, big tent, and they can find a part of the tent that makes sense for them, that fits for them, that they feel comfortable in. I happen to be, again, as I mentioned, Roman Catholic. There are some Catholics and some community, Catholic communities that I absolutely love, and there's some Catholic communities I really don't love at all. Yeah. <laughs> and this, it's like a big family. You know, you can hang out with the parts right. of the family that, that make sense to you and, and try to avoid parts of the family that are, are big pain. Sounds like Thanksgiving, <laughs> you right? you don't really get along with. And I think if they can start there, uh, that could be very 
very helpful. And then if they could start to kind of explore, perhaps getting some consultation from either a cleric or a, or a pastor or, or a bishop or somebody who can kind of help uh, guide them towards a place of peace and solace and, and the positive side of spiritual religious practice and try to um, find a getaway or repel themselves from the more negative side. Beautiful. I mean, really... It's there, and it's it, it, you can you can kind of take a bite, a, a big bite. You can jump right in. There's options. There's a million options. And Dr. Plant, again, we so appreciate you. Everybody, where, where can they find your book, Tom? Well, uh, probably the best to just get on my, I mean, they can find it on Amazon. Everything's on Amazon uh, uh, nowadays, and they can certainly get to my website, which is if they just Google my name, Thomas Plant, uh, my Santa Clara University website will pop up, and yeah. that book and all the others will, uh, will pop up with links. So so appreciate you being here. Again, the book, Religion, Spirituality, and Positive Psychology, Understanding the Fruits of Faith. I think we've, I think we've learned a lot today. Thank you so much, Thomas. Well, thank you. It's a real pleasure to be with you, and I hope you and your listeners uh, will find their way uh, to a positive place when it comes to religion and spirituality. <laughs> thank you so much. Wonderful stuff. Uh, you know, there's just good. There's good in the world, folks. Uh, let's go look for it. Let's go find it. And, uh, you know, take a bite. It's the fruits. The fruits of the Spirit are there. The fruits of faith are there. But, you, you know, you got to eat them. you got to nibble here and there. We're taking a break. We'll be right back. We're going to come back talking religion and relationships. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy St. Patty's Day to you. I'm sitting here looking right in Mike Pond's eyes. I got some green in my eyes. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. That's why when I wear my green, uh, mint green shirt, my eyes just pop. Hey, great ironing job, by the Did way. Did you see that? Yeah. It was pretty good. It was exhausting. I have to iron my clothes every day now. I used to send them out. It's only like... What, like a dollar twenty-five to have yeah. a shirt ironed or something? It like is. That? That's all it is. It's not too expensive. No, but uh, you know what I found? Um, I feel closer to my clothes when I iron them. And that it's all about creating connection with yourself, right? Sad but true. In fact, your topic today: connection, relationships, religion. Somehow, sometimes they don't get along. No, because you may no. be dating somebody that has a completely different faith system, and you go head to head. I think uh, people try to minimize the differences when when they're in love or in yeah, a relationship. Oh, it doesn't matter. But that is the totally wrong way to go about it. Because eventually you're going to want to raise a child yeah. in one of these belief systems and which one's going to win. Yeah, and what kind of wedding should you have? Should you have a Catholic wedding yeah. or a Jewish yeah. wedding or, right. you know, what's it going to be? Well, so. I mean, have you been thinking about this at all? Just because you're dating so many. Yeah, you know, it's a... This is a more than just our relationships with a significant other, but with all of oh, you yeah. know people around us. It's huge. I mean, I, I came from a Middle Eastern geography class today. Professor Chad Emmett was talking about uh, you know the the racial, ethnic, and religious segregation in Israel and Palestine, yeah. and uh, it's really interesting. You know how they they uh, combine. You know, here in the United States, it's a little different because we kind of. Uh, our uh, ethnic and our religious kind of code or our identity is is different. We separate that, yeah. but there it's it's, it's one. one. You are yeah. you are one. You're one thing. 
Exactly. But I have I've come up with uh, six things okay. that I uh, six th- things can help us make interfaith relationships work out. Let's hear it. So number one, we just talked about we need to face the issues. You know, again, the biggest problem I think facing yeah. interfaith couples is is denying that the differences actually yeah, they're exist. not there. Well, that's chemistry, right? Chemistry makes you think everything's the same. Yeah, and even if you're not religious, the differences can kind of creep up in the future. Oh, yeah. uh, so you need to you need to have a hit have a dialogue a and real hit talk. The, hit the issues head on. Yeah, and and I think the best time to talk about that is now. See, the hard part about that is a lot of times people aren't thinking straight. They they don't know like they're in love. Yeah, the chemicals uh, yeah, and everything's going up. Okay, that's a good one. So, but face it, like there's a difference here. We have different religious backgrounds. We, let's just not pretend like we're both going to be okay. Yeah, avoidance it up. is yeah, not going to make the problem let's address go away. it. Okay, good. Number two. Number two, you need to clarify your cultural code. You know, we just said that uh, people have trouble separating uh, religion and culture. And even if your religion isn't a factor in your life or your relationship, you still have a different cultural code than your oh, yeah. partner. Well, like, see, if you imagine, well, even our guest Thomas was talking earlier, some people are going to be externally showing religion. Yes. They're going to go every Sunday, and some just want to meditate and go up into nature and meditate. So if all of a sudden one of you is external and one of you is internal, that culture about us going to church or that culture about us praying at every meal, I mean, that's going to impact. I mean, and we, when we think about, uh, when we consider our cultural code, our cultural identity, we could ask questions like, uh, how do we express our emotions? What is a normal family? And, and what are my expectations for uh, the relationship and a prospective family? Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. Yeah. Are we going to have kids? How many are we going to have? Exactly. A lot of yeah. Christian families have a lot of kids. And mm. then I think number three, the next one, yep. you need to clarify your identity. Uh, many... Interfaith couples uh, uh, will start negotiating what religion they want their kids to be, for instance, without having a clear idea of their own yeah. religious well, identity. What are you? Do you believe in what you're saying? Yeah, and so that, that the, that's the problem. If you don't have a clear understanding of what your religious identity is, you, mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to cause problems yeah. when you're discussing it with someone else because you don't know what you're talking about or yeah. what you want your kids to be. And so a good way to think about that is to consider maybe uh, look at you know crucial points in your life, maybe when you're 5, yeah. 12, 16, let's say you're Catholic or Mormon. Uh, you know, what, was, what were some big events in your life during that time you know, concerning that religious identity. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's huge. Because then all of a sudden you're attached to those times. That's part of who you are. And, and even after you consider those those times in your life, your your identity may still be a little hazy. And that's okay. Yeah. But it's problematic when you're negotiating uh, w- on something with someone else that you aren't clear about. Yeah. So get clear on it. Well, yeah, yeah you're going to lose. If you don't know, if you don't know, and they know, so it usually goes to the winner is the one that has a better sense of who they are. Yeah, exactly. Then they'll just go for that. Yeah, and the other person will just get steamrolled. Mm. And that's not that's fun never a good for fight for religion. Either no. party, right? So number four, we'll yep. move right along, is to practice unconditional experimentation. You know, it's not always productive to negotiate until you've exposed yourself to the other person's religious identity. Yeah. And uh, so you might want to go learn about to, it. Go to mass. Yeah, go to a synagogue. Go to church with them, and uh, then you can uh, discuss, uh, you know, the relationship seriously concerning the religious identity when I you've love exposed that. yourself. Yeah. Try it. I you mean, wanna... especially because these we share so many principles anyway. A lot of times it's practices that seem to be different in the religions, but we all, you know, everyone kind of believes in love. 
We all believe in charity. We all believe in a bunch of the same principles. So the principles may be the same. Sometimes it might just come down to practice. Yeah. And I mean, this may not mean that you're converting right. or making any promises no. or anything, but, but you're taking That's the right. relationship seriously and it's important to you and you're willing to, to learn more about what's important to your partner. It's good stuff. What's five? Number five, you want to share your history with each other. Maybe you used to be Catholic or you used to be Protestant or whatever. And uh, that's important, understanding another person's religious history. Um, You know, it'll take a lot of pressure off uh, when you're discussing this kind of stuff. That's good. But it gives the couples another opportunity to get to know each other deeper. Yeah. Is that it? Uh, No, there's one more thing. And I think uh, this this is kind of a little bit... Uh, unrelated, but I think it's a good good tip. Um, okay. View therapy as preventative. You know, couples typically wait until their relationship oh, yeah. is in the rocks yeah. until they get help. And I heard from a friend that they do a, a one year checkup session. You know, that's great. And I thought, oh, that's you know, that's and they neat. go in do some therapy after one year. Yeah, and so uh, that's a great idea. Well, and learn the skills. What I see, if couples would just learn to talk. Instead of arguing about the differences, learn to talk and then go understand and go not like you negotiate, but understand. Because you might learn something like it's not going to be a big deal, or you might learn I we we can't do this, and then be strong enough to follow your light and end it if you have to. And you can use these tips with other people, like uh, coworkers yeah. or yeah. friends. You know, you can you can be proactive and learn a bit of, about their culture or their religious identity and what they're into, and it'll it'll oh. improve your relationship. I promise you. And you're not charging for these. No, these so are people all can free. just take them and just right now go use them. They don't have to send you any money. Yeah, just listen to us again tomorrow. That's, it. That's all I ask. That's all we ask. Well done, Michael. Our relationship. Uh, what are we calling you? I don't know. Um, stud. Relationship stud, Mike Pond. Thanks, Matt. Happy uh, St. Patty's Day. Same to you. Go get some green on. All right, we'll do. Just so you don't get pinched. We're taking a break. We're coming back. Actually, Meg will not be here today. Julie Nelson will be joining us. Julie Nelson is going to teach us about parenting and religion. Awesome stuff coming up. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. We've got a little uh, a little Irish um, tribute to do right now. James has been putting together something since the morning, the very first block of the show. Uh, James, what is your tribute? Do I have to say it because you uh, pointed at me? Uh-huh. They're after me lucky charms. Excellent. We had that for breakfast this morning. Did you? Yeah. Well, you know what? We didn't. That's sad. We had two boxes. Don't you find it sad that uh, here's one of the great holidays, the great tradition, St. Patty's Day, and all we can come up with is? They're after me lucky charms. That's all we got. (laughs) That's all we got. Except for our guest today, Julie Nelson. We call her the bomb mom, the child whisperer, wife, mother of five children, author of the book Parenting with Spiritual Power, guru of uh, human development, she teaches at Utah Valley University Applied Parenting and Marriage Relationship Skills. She's the queen. And more importantly, you can find her at a spoonful of parenting.com. Used to be 
Julie K. Nelson. Kel- Julie K. Nelson, Julie K. Nelson, Julie K. But now it's a spoonful of parenting.com. Mm-hmm. Welcome. Thank you. Hey, um, thank you for bringing me a St. Patty's gift. You are welcome. And uh, I don't quite understand it, but it's a, it's a troll doll. Mm-hmm. But it's a troll doll. You've all seen it with the funny hair. But this is a troll doll that's like a chia doll where you grow the hair in the troll. The brainless troll. The brainless troll. Now, it was a you, – because you said it reminded me of you, you of me. <laughs> and then I take it out of the box and it's a naked troll without a brain, missing a head, a big gut, big poofy eyes – and some seeds tucked down in his head. Now, just quickly, how does this remind you of me? Because it does. It seems, I don't know, maybe I'm missing something. I mean, he's as cute as a cherub, just like you. That's it. That's it. And the hair. It's the hair. It's the green hair. See, it's going to come out. It's St. Patty's hair. Yeah. As it grows. Right. Yeah. He's got big eyes mm-hmm. and a big pooch. <laughs> I'm just going to set him right there. It'll be your wow. good luck charm. You know what? And thank you for the donuts. You're welcome. Uh, and interesting. I bet there was like six and there's only three left. I think there was eight. Was there eight? Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Everyone just snarfed them. Ja- James and I are working. We're the only ones that are like really here full time working. And the rest are just eating donuts. I know. It's a sad life. It makes me sad. Hey, um, you are, by the way, you wrote the book on parenting with spiritual power. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about the power of religion psychologically and how it impacts us. Right. So obviously parents are going to want to ch- transfer their spiritual beliefs to their children so that they get the same benefit. Yeah, and they want to act in harmony to the values that are taught in whatever religious right. context that they espouse. But it's so hard, if you haven't noticed, to get them to do what you want. <laughs> Because it's almost like these children come with their own idea. Almost. Isn't that weird? And it's almost like they think, too, they have, like, agency and freedom. I know. How do you you crush that? (laughs) We're here to crush that. (laughs) Is that that a bad question? How do you get your – I mean, spirituality and parenting, Mm -hmm. it seems like – I mean, we do this thing every night that we call the prayer fight Mm -hmm. because – we just want our kids to pray. Get down here, kids, and now. pray now before and I beat it. you. Mean it and close your eyes when we pray. And so how do you do and this? And think of godly things while you're while you're knocking your yeah. sister over. That's right. Yeah. And leave her alone or you're going to need this prayer. <laughs> it's intensive. Like you know, the approach that I, I'd like to take is examine with from within. You know, and we can't force religion on any children. Right. And um, Some try. Some try. But then it seems like that breeds rebellion. Right. But here's an interesting um, an interesting study um, by Lauren Marks. I brought some, you know, your former guest talked about the the tie with with, uh, science, which is now acknowledging that religion and or spirituality really enhances families and strengthens them. He found that uh, in general, religious participation appears to foster a more authoritative, warm, active, and expressive style of parenting. Hmm. The parents who attend religious services are more likely to enjoy a better relationship with their children and are more likely to be involved with their child's education. The greater the child's religious involvement, the more likely that both the parent and the child will agree about the quality of huh. their relationship. They're more similar of their values, and the greater the emotional closeness will be. And so you find this, this the reciprocal uh, benefit of parents who live their values, who, who, who go and have religious practices or 
it could be spiritual practices on a daily basis that transmits those to the children. If started young, it's easier to begin with those practices right. as well, and then the, and then they benefit. And there's so many there's so many uh, studies that show that religious attendance. And services together are linked to happy, stable family lives, strong marriages, more well-behaved children. It leads to a redu- reduction. This is what I'm interested in, the incident of domestic violence, mm. of abuse, of crime, substance abuse, and addiction. Religious practice leads to an increase of physical and mental health, longevity, and educational att- attainment. Wow. So there's so many links uh, with religiosity, spiritualism that enhance family life, and especially the relationship between the parent and child. Well, it's that's I see a lot of division when somebody's married and they have all the children and they're trying to get them to go to church, but then one parent kind of quits being as religious as they used to be, so half the kids start following mm-hmm. that parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's major division. It seems like that's like we were talking earlier. You, you really need to know if we're going to do this. But if we're going to do it, there's huge payoff. There's huge. And just like your guest said, even it's just like they sit there with their butt on the pew. Yeah. Just go. Just going. Because just going, yeah. there's some benefits of just going. And I like to talk about three of those, say, Matt, yeah. if I could. Yeah. And one of them is that how it is. Uh, it helps families. It strengthens families. And if parents out there and your listeners are saying, you know, I'm really not – I'm feeling like I, I'm – it's like – the ground underneath me is just kind of crumbling as a parent. I just don't know what to do. Let me suggest the benefits of religious practice and or spirituality that might help you. One of it, the main thing is you get an I'm not alone mentality. Mm-hmm. I'm not alone in this. So just going, if even like you said, the one parent's like, I don't really get into this religious stuff. Yeah. But if just going even to the social aspect of it, like, right. your, like your former yeah. guest said, it's the external. Yeah. But you get that social support where if you don't have to go on Sundays if you don't want to go to Mass or whatever it might be, but they have so many other benefits to being a part of the collective right, group. Right, You can go to, uh, you know, I went to um, an evangelical uh, Bible um, coffee group where we where people would come and they'd drink tea and coffee. They'd discuss um, the religious texts, mm-hmm. the Bible as it was, and they had this little nursery for the kids that came along, and then the mothers had a midday break. Yeah, something and, to go do. And it wasn't just, you know, scriptures we were no, talking it about. Social. It was trading. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you get your child to go to sleep? Or how? What are you doing yeah. with her? She, you know, she doesn't eat her vegetables, and so there's this social group, and not just that, but there's you do service projects together. Right. You know, you have um, camps, youth camps. You can send your kids off oh, to. Yeah. You have you know recreational. You have picnics. There's all kinds of things that just being part of that group will give you that support of I'm not alone. No, see, who doesn't need that? Mm-hmm. Who doesn't need an extra hand in mm-hmm. raising your family? My parents because they divorced. Um, you know, my mom was working a lot. She she didn't go to church as much at first, but she made sure we went and we would go go to church. And but I had people in my congregation that ended up basically like becoming adopting a, you, a, adopting yeah, me, becoming exactly. a role model for mm-hmm. me, a father figure for me. And I mean, I remember being told, "No, you're going to college." Because I had never seen anyone go to college. Uh, one of my parents, neither of them went to college. So I'm like, I don't know if college is for me. And this this young men's leader who was a leader of my group when I was 15, 16, 17, he's like, oh, no, 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 you're going. Mm-hmm. You're going to college. Yeah. I will make sure you go to college. You are going to college. And it's like, okay. Yeah. I didn't know I could do that. So what you're saying, Matt, and what I, lo- what I love about this is that as a parent – 
none of us are perfect. Right. We have holes in no, our parenting. Right. And your parent had a hole in the fact of aspir- uh, you know, educational aspirations. Yeah. So when you go to a social group like this in this religious context is you have other parents that fill those holes up. Yeah. And so when I can't be everything to all my kids, other parents will step in and be those role That's models. Right. As well as when I'm struggling, I can have – uh, support from those others who are stronger than me in some areas, and yeah. I could be a support to them. How um, how great is that? Yeah. It it's takes, like it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it really yeah. just takes a congregation to raise a child. I know <laughs> you don't even need a village anymore. Yeah, yeah. As my as my neighbor says, it takes a village to raise an idiot. It does. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, her kids sometimes act like idiots. <laughs> uh, but what are, here, the, what are the here's other the, ones? here's the other thing. What I love about this this collective group and I'm not alone mentality is that there's two types of commitments. Um, this uh, in research there's constraint commitment, which is those external pressures that like when you uh, take God into your life, such as you have vows at marriage, you're taking God in and you're saying, I will before deity, you know, be true to this person. And you have families and friends that are sitting around witnessing this yeah, covenant, this huge. covenant, and they're going to hold you to right. that. Don't mess so with that. So you have per- personal dedication at the same time, like I will be their sickness, you mm. know, and health, all that sort of stuff. So that I, my own personal desire to stay faithful and true to my partner and stay committed to family. But you know what? There's rough days. And there's times when you say, I need to opt out of this, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But the constraint commitment before God and others, they're like, no, no, no. That's you're, interesting. You're staying in this because you know what? It'll get better. So it's kind of an oblate. So you – it. It keeps you in because you're constrained, you're you're obligated mm-hmm. to not stray because you have so many eyes on you. That's so it support. gives you strength when you may not possess it yourself. Right. There's going to be some bad days. And we yeah. all want to have personal dedication 24-7. That's huge. But it does not always right. happen. And so when you're having some t- some difficult times, if you have this support from the collective religious group, yeah. then they're going to say, hey, you know what? You can do this. Let me give you some help. Well, that's like going through school when you're with a cohort of people and you're all supposed to go mm-hmm. through the same program. Oh, yeah. It seems easier than when they just say, figure it out. Exactly. <laughs> Good luck. So second would be support, of course, from God himself from the deity, the higher power, Um, because you know that he is the father of all. I mean, he has a perfect knowledge of how to do this sort of thing. So you kind of turn your will over to him and say, okay, you know what? Guide me in this process. I'm not alone. I can treat you. If you you believe in a God, you may as well be using Using him, drawing upon him. That's right. So we believe Uh that we're all his children. So he's going to help me to take care of his kids as I raise them and turn to prayer and scriptural study to help us, you know, find his will. And so you feel that divine connection. This is more the internal spirituality that that Dr. Plant talked about, that I will, you know, find that connection of, okay, de-stress through meditation, through prayer, through looking at religious texts, and finding answers that help me to physiologically, you know, mm-hmm. kind of get down from yeah. my stress level, yeah. and and turn to him so that I know how to guide my children. Powerful. And so that really does mean, in fact, you know, in um, prayer in Arabic means it's called salat, and salat actually means connection. The word is connection. Yeah, isn't that I have a connection to God. So yeah, consistent prayer, meditation, all those things. You know, I have parents that say, at some points, and maybe your listeners can identify with this, sometime you have kids that just rock your boat. And if you are a religious person, you're going to say, I'm turning it over to God. You know, you take yeah. over God because I've yeah. done everything I can. Keep me from killing him. And, you know, and it's so kind of true. a way to step back and just kind of turn it over to him. And that's a really yeah. healthy practice. Carrie Underwood, Jesus take the will. <laughs> that's right. That's just right. take it. Could you start singing that, please, Matt? I, love I, I it. would, but my voice is so. <laughs> but I will, you know what I will just to throw in there? We're going to have, um, James has got a little thing he's put together for St. Patty's Day. They're after me lucky charms. That's beautiful. <laughs> You're so good, James. That's great. He, and he does it on you know, on demand. You know, a lot of people just, you know, they just pull it up on their their iTunes. Mm-hmm. No, I just point. 
this point? They're after me Lucky Charms. You are good. Could I take you home? We, yeah, we, and I just say uh, they're after me Lucky Charms. Yes, yeah. could you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what we ought to do is let's market this. Everybody needs a leprechaun. You could do the commercials. That would be perfect. And make lots more money than what you're doing sitting there. Yeah. That's a great idea. <laughs> or you should start paying me more because I can say stuff in an nope. Irish accent. But I will let you uh, help me cut the hair of my see, troll doll. I figure like this is a religious icon. And see, you know how Buddha has the big belly? Yeah. I thought about him and you could rub his belly, the, the yeah. troll's belly, and get good luck. Well, but then I, I love that idea. Just don't rub the backside, please. Well, yeah, I was there. Um, the problem <laughs> is, the bigger problem is you you said the troll reminds you of me. So I was just trying to figure out. Anyway, I figured no. it out. I figured it out. Yeah, yeah. It's good luck. It's a good luck term. Oh, it's because he's lucky. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, so last one, Matt. Support from the family itself, your own family. And your guest talked about this earlier, right? The, the daily rituals, having the, the, the positive uh, spiritual connections each day, the renewal, the strength of having your family, you know, having rituals like prayer together, morning devotionals, having, you know, mealtime where you offer grace. Um I have a friend who, she's not Jewish, but she's adopted the, the mezuzah idea or of the Jewish tradition where she actually has a scripture right by her door um, as the kids go out. And um, before they go out in the morning to go to school, they recite that scripture. Oh, great. She stands by the door and they offer a prayer together. Powerful. To kind of send them out into the world. Yeah. And so that's kind of a ritual that they do every day, uh, kind of like the kiss, you know, touch yeah. the scripture and yeah. kiss it. They do that. They recite How it every wonderful. day. Those are rituals that connect themselves to yeah. each other. Knowing mom cares about me, and these are some ideas I should keep in my, my head. And she, yeah. she changes the scripture. And so what a w- great way to have that I'm not alone mentality in the world for the kids as well. well. Especially when you think eventually where it seems like religion is most invoked is like at the end. So at, at, your, at your funeral, mm-hmm. do you want them, what do you want them to talk about? Because they're already going to be like bringing God in. He, you know, that seems to come in every time. But also maybe um, they could talk about the tradition of mom reading a scripture and praying with us as we went out the house. Right. How powerful is that? Yeah, I had a, uh, someone I heard that mentioned that their mom turned the chairs backward around the dinner table every uh, night. And that was a signal for the kids that we kneeled down in front of the uh, – before pray, before, and yeah. we prayed. That was a signal that mom said that everyone came to the table and we did this together before we turned How them around. Powerful. So those types of things yeah. really unite a family. And um, they speak – when you hear a parent speak about your children, children in a prayer, it elevates the, oh, yeah. the, the speech, yeah. uh, the language when, that they do. When mom and dad are talking to deity yeah. in your behalf, yeah. everybody, go check out her website, a spoonfulofparenting.com. She wrote the book, for heaven's sakes, on, on parenting with spiritual power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, go check it out. And they can just get the book off of your website? Yeah, they can go to uh, my website. But you know, just go to Amazon, yeah. uh, Barnes & Noble. Uh, yeah, it's there. On Plus, you got a blog, tons of stuff. A, par- a spoonful of parenting dot com. And you're on the show regularly. Mm-hmm. And you, you know. And I bring donuts. And, and you bring tro- donuts. and troll dolls. And troll dolls, <laughs> which apparently you know I resemble. <laughs> well done, of course, Julie K. Nelson. She did it again. A spoonful of parenting dot com. Our spiritual advisor. Advisor. Our bomb mom. Our child whisperer. We're taking a break. We'll be right back. Uh, Are you going to stick with us? I am. We're playing a quiz, St. Patrick's Day quiz. And uh, if you hang on, and if you're good, we're going to have James do his little uh, St. Patty's quote of the day. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. 
Welcome back, everybody. There's the hoedown music. It's not really Irish music, but it's close enough. And so we're wrapping up the show. Who better to do that than Maddie Richards is here. Hi. How are you, Madeline? I'm great. How are you, Matt? Excellent. uh, Julie Nelson's also with us still uh, here from the website, a spoonful of parenting.com. She's also sporting her leprechaun jacket. Want to be lucky. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Corduroy green. It's, it's, yeah, it's It's beautiful. So soft. It's, well, I wouldn't know, but it looks (laughs) very nice. I, um, we're playing a game. Yeah. We're St. Patrick's Day quiz. I know we've been talking about religion, but um, we're going to have a quiz on St. Patrick's Day, which I feel like is just as good. It is. Okay. True or false? True. St. Patrick drove the snakes out of Ireland. Hey, I know this one. There are no snakes. There were no snakes. He did not do it. I agree. Because the water was too cold for them to migrate. No, they were mice. It's actually actually true. No, it's false. I just read this today. See, Maddie, you got the wrong info. Well, agree to disagree, I guess. So he drove snakes out? Yeah. I think that was another guy. I think that was St. Jimmy. Oh, right. That was, yeah. Are you serious? Was it St. Patrick's drove snakes out? That was the tradition that he did that. Uh That was one of the ways he he expelled the evil forces of um, Ireland. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's true. I guess we're both wrong. Uh, Or history's wrong. The expression Aaron go bra means happy St. Patrick Day, true or false? No, bra means brother. In Jamaica. <laughs> so I say no. Okay, what does it mean then? Uh, it says, hey, you want to play ball, bro? Bra? No, Matt's not cultural. It means Ireland forever, like, and go bra. Ah. Oh, he'll do that one more time. No, that was it. That was powerful, though. I, I can't. <laughs> we didn't even give, Julie didn't even get a shot at that one. I'm sorry. We'll give this one to Julie. Okay, Julie, steal them what does leprechaun mean? Oh, man. Oh, unfair. She's got the jacket. Uh, little green g- troll man. That is really close. No, Not I know. Not at all, but really close. What is it? It's a con. And I mean, it's a leper that has broken the law <laughs> and is a convict. Th- thus, <laughs> leper Did they have lepers con. in Ireland? Oh, yeah. That's what the oh. snakes were after. <laughs> oh. No, you were I'm really close, sure. though, Julie. It means small-bodied fellow. Oh. I said troll. Yeah, I know. Yeah, fellow yeah. troll. I the like green part was wrong. I don't yeah. think they're trolls. Mm. Leprechauns are not trolls. I was just joking. It okay. is a little green guy. Okay. I, I just you, don't mess with the troll the because I've got a troll. A <laughs> pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's true. These are uh, fun. All right. Legend has it that if you kiss the Blarney Stone, you will gain what? Love. True love. I'll give you a hint. True love. Matt has this already. A big fat belly. Okay. That you can rub for good luck. A rubbing the big fat belly. Uh, hold on. If you kiss this, you get this. Yeah. If you kiss the Blarney Stone, oh, you gain. Oh, I know. Get, you, good luck. Uh, good luck. No. Uh, you get. You become vice. Oh, I know what it is. <laughs> no. The gift of gab. Yes. Gab. Yeah, the, gift the gift of gab. gab. Good yeah. job, Julie. Points for Julie. <laughs> okay, so let's just get that straight. Not lice. No, <laughs> you and don't not get lice. A big belly. No, you get. Have we Matt, got it? You become Matt Townsend. You get the gift of yeah. gab. See, my father-in-law used to say. I guess it wasn't a compliment because he says, it's like you kissed the Blarney Stone. <laughs> That's right. So then now I get you know a right. big belly with lice. Okay. No, you, <laughs> it's even better. gift of gab. Okay, what else? We've got maybe one more. All right. Hold up. Let's just, for fun, I wonder what, I wonder what James has to say about that. They're after me, Lucky Charms. <laughs> yep. Oh, really, James? I have no idea. That's our tribute. All right. 
throw our last one. Yeah. What does Patrick mean in Latin? St. Patrick's Day. What does it mean in Latin? St. Patrick's Day? No, just the name Patrick. Patrick is, uh, it's in hockey where you score three. Okay, Matt. Patrick. I'm going to ask Julie and James. I don't think my, I don't think you're taking this seriously, Matt. (laughs) I don't know a lot about the the Irish I don't know either. James, what does Patrick mean? Oh, well, you know, I've, I'm very well read in Irish stuff, so it means father of people. <gasps> Good no. job. Yeah, it does. It means the father. That was really, he really is no, Irish. No, but are you sure it's not they're magically delicious? <laughs> <laughs> are you sure it's not that? No, I wish it was. Gosh, Maddie. Hey, um, in, as we wrap up the show, because we have to wrap up right in a second, there's a song that Maddie loves. And I'm not singing this one. You're not going to sing this one, but this is one that her pappy used to sing to her every time Maddie would go to bed. When I was a wee baby. When you were a wee little baby, wee halfway little up to ass. the knee. It's from the Irish Rovers. Uh, it's the unicorn song. Brings me sweet memories. Which is my favorite. It's my favorite show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to leave you with the unicorn song from the Irish Rovers. Thanks for joining us. Make sure, focus on religion, spirituality. Happy St. Patrick's Day right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.